Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. We got Brian with us today. Sup, heretics? And you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. And today, we are challenging the status quo <laughs> because we all have things that we have to say. Words exactly. need to be said today. Yeah, we have some stuff to say. Yeah, absolutely. So, but before we do that, go ahead and do the internet thing. If you don't know how to do it, I can't help you. Uh, like and subscribe. And if you don't want to miss a single video, hit the bell, ring the bell, okay? Um, and of course, let us know your thoughts in the comments below. Leave us five stars on Apple and Spotify. That's a big help. And uh, also, if you want to support the channel, you can on our Patreon where you get like apologetics material early um, and another direct line to us directly if you'd like. Um, but I don't really want to support like push supporting us today because we actually have a special guest that I would actually really like you guys to try to support yourselves if you can. Some of you who are familiar with a little bit of the world that we kind of reside in uh, might be familiar with this name. We have none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Stephen Boyce on with us. And Dr. Stephen Boyce is actually kind of awesome. Uh, and I'll let him tell a little bit about himself. So how are you doing, Stephen? I'm good, gentlemen. How are you? Doing just Wonderful. peachy. Um, excited for this episode. Excited to chat with you. I've wanted to have you on for like two years. That's yes. how far behind I am. I'm like, I have great ideas, you see, but they're always floating in the ether and they never quite hit the ground. So um, I thank you for coming on. I know you normally work with a partner in crime, but uh, I'll let you tell a little bit about that. So Stephen, for those of uh, our audience who might not be familiar with who you are, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So I, I grew up in fundamentalism probably similar to many of your followers and uh, pretty much started moving out of that realm around my first year out of undergrad college when I started pastoring a church and actually had to study the Bible for myself more than more often than I wanted. <laughs> and uh, once I started doing that, I actually started changing my philosophy to expositional preaching. Once I started doing that, I had to go head to head with passages of scripture I couldn't avoid started changing here and there a little bit. At the same time, the co-founder of Explore Christianity, John Beasley, uh, who is also in that same background, he and I went to undergrad together. We were studying a lot of the same things at the same time. He was in evangelism traveling. I was pastoring in a local church here, and we would have phone call conversations. He'd come and preach at my church, and we always stayed in touch. We were best friends all the way through college from day one. And uh, so what we ended up doing is we ended up studying certain topics at a time. Like we went through dress, we went through music, uh, we went through uh, drinking, we went through what type of preaching. I mean, we went through all kinds of subjects and we just began to change a little bit at a time. And, and then we got hated for doing it. I mean, it wasn't long after that. We were pretty much boycotted uh, by other local churches. We were completely boycotted from some of the institutions that we attended. Lost a lot of friends, mentors over that. But it pushed us in a good direction. It was hard. It wasn't easy. Uh, we lost good friends. We lost a lot of mentors over it. But we built new ones. Uh, we started a new journey, started studying differently. And one of the biggest things that he became passionate about when he was considering church planning at that time, he ended up coming on staff with me at the second church I pastored, which is the Southern Baptist Church. And we had a little bit more liberty there. Um, you know, we didn't have the King James onlyism because we left that. We got out of that. We were able to not preach uh, with with suits and ties. We were actually able to just wear a button up or a polo. It was great. 
Um, so once we started becoming ourselves and felt free to become ourselves, we became passionate about certain things that we saw the church really needed. And so when he was planning that whole time to go to Seattle, I was there. And then he launched after that to Seattle. And I ended up having kind of a crisis situation, a family crisis situation that took me out of the pastorate while he was over in Seattle. So I kind of lost my best friend from distance when I was going through one of the most ridiculous times in my life. It was actually in the middle of all that. He helped at the very beginning. And then he went to Seattle and then we worked together to help start the church there. But he always had a passion about apologetics, like how to how to institute that in every single church. And that should be a fundamental thing, especially going to a city like Seattle, where he was. I mean, skepticism is at all time high in cities like mm -hmm. Seattle. So he wanted to have an apologetics ministry always attached to city like Seattle when he planted it. And so that became, that came to be a trend too, because we helped start a church in Malaysia. We helped start another church in Fiji. And all of those churches actually were built off of the city light pattern in Seattle. And they also created an apologetics ministry, which are still going to this day. I actually was just on the phone for an hour today with the founder of Explain International, which we helped start. And he's doing a tour right now. He's in New Zealand. He sent me uh, a, a map of his phone that he's an hour and a half away from Hobbiton uh, to go visit uh, the Shire. And I said, man, oh. I was like, I would pay so much money. He's like, well, I don't know if I should go. I said, you're an hour and a half away. Go there to go. take pictures for me, if anything. Yeah. Like, if you don't want to go for yourself, <laughs> do it for me. He's like, but it's a hundred dollars. I'll send you the money. Like, go to Hobbiton. But no, he's uh, he's out there in New Zealand. He's on a tour in Fiji, Australia. So he's still doing that kind of stuff there. So we have guys that we have been able to train all over the world. Really, we've uh, trained uh, pastors, apologists in Kenya. Uh, we've also trained quite a few in the Philippines and in parts of Germany. Uh, so we've we've been a, a part of helping a lot of churches get the apologetic side down. But what's interesting to me is how much the churches in foreign countries desire it more than here in America. And I think American churches need it the most. Um, but <laughs> the churches in Malaysia are passionate about this because they're surrounded by Islam and they're constantly being challenged, uh, both in a social way and in um, a local context as well from their governments. So they're having to come up with reasonable defenses of their faith against the Muslim belief system. So, I mean, they, they're passionate about it. They want it. They want this kind of stuff. So they, they'll, they'll pack out an entire conference that Samuel will go to. If you do one virtually, I've spoken at many of them just virtually sitting right here in this room in front of five and 600 people that just came together in a church building to watch me on the screen, talk about how we got the Bible. Uh, they're passionate about it. Then you, you do something like that in your own local churches here in America, you get like 15, 20 people to show up. It's, it's quite incredible the passion that they have for it. But that's something that we were really determined to do ahead of time. And while John was doing that, I was uh, doing my PhD work to kind of complete that. Cause we knew if we were going to continue this pattern, we'd need guys that were going to be educated in the fields. And so I took a turn to study text and canon. I became very passionate about, all right, how do we get our Bible? How do we know these books don't belong in the canon? These do. Then we got into like, look at the manuscript differences. One of the biggest studies I ever did that just changed my whole trajectory was the study of the woman of cotton adultery in John 7, 53 through 8, 11. I made a lot of people mad on that one when I first published my findings on it. 
uh, still make people mad. I always joke about it. Like I, I was in, I'm in more danger of being stoned than the woman caught in adultery for believing that the story doesn't belong in John's gospel. So um, when I actually published on that, I took a lot of beatings for it, but um, it, it started a trajectory that was good. Finished, finished that, uh, that work about two years ago. Uh, and again, we've been training groups of guys and girls uh, across the world to continue the vision that we had to continue to implement this kind of training to give the common church person a a good, strong conviction and understanding of what they believe on, on the essential issues and values that we are facing. And that looks different from country to country. Um, America is facing more of a secularism and a humanism. Uh, whereas in other countries, sometimes it might be, like I said, Islam over in Malaysia or in the Philippines, but there are different cultural things that are attacking scripture. And we want everybody that sits in a church, not just open a Bible, hear a sermon and go home. Like they went to a club. We want them to understand what they believe, why they believe it. And so that's kind of what Explore Christianity is about. It's about equipping the, the saints and equipping church leaders and teaching them how to do it. Because a lot of pastors want to bring apologetics into the church, but they're afraid to do it because there's a lot of people that don't want them to do it or because they don't know how to implement it themselves because they're not very strong in their faith and their understanding of it. So we, we want to challenge pastors, but also equip pastors, challenge the church, but also equip the church we've really made ourselves an aid to the church. Now out of that I also launched facts, which is the podcast that I have, which is an acronym for fathers, apocryphal canon text and scripture. And so that's pretty much the, the main thing that I do work in anyway. And that's what I like to focus on the most in that program. It's an extension of explore. Um, but that's my podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, et cetera. It's, it's on seven or eight different platforms. Um, but that's, predominantly focusing on the authenticity of scripture, but also looking at the church in its origin, its conception, how it transpired in different countries in the world, different church leaders who wrote to us, how we should defend the faith, how we should understand it from the earliest state and what the church should look like, how we take an ancient church and apply it to a modern context and how we implement that into our churches today. That's a big passion of mine in, in my episode of Facts. Absolutely. And, uh, and then you also work with, like you said, John Beasley at Explore Christianity. So if you guys, uh, any of our listeners are listening and you want to support a great apologetics ministry as if all that wasn't enough to sell you on it, uh, <laughs> I highly encourage you guys supporting them. Uh, it's one of those yeah. things that when my wife and I get rolling, I've already told, I told John a while ago, I don't know if I told Steven, but, uh, we have also said that we want to commit financially to supporting it because they do great work. They're, they're very much a support and the aid to the church. They're very unified. And believe it or not, we actually uh, disagree on topics too. Uh, so I wore my non-Calvinist shirt and uh, Stephen is, uh, you're, you Cheers. identify as Calvinist, wouldn't you? Is that yeah. what you identify? Okay. Yeah. Or we, are you, are you, you're not going to get all like pedantic on me? Be like, no, no, I identify as a biblicist, you pleb. No, no. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of like Charles Spurgeon where he wasn't like fond of the name. It was just kind of like, I am what they call a Calvinist. Like, if that's what I'm going to be labeled, that's what I am. So if that's what I get labeled, that's what I am. I would adhere to many of the uh, tenets of, of Calvinism. Um, I, I also repulsively uh, look into some of the Calvinistic sects as well as like, mm, like y'all need some help. Y'all need to get in a cage. Y'all need to chill out. So yes. I, I'm, I'm a Calvinist, but I'm not mad about it. So. 
That's that needs to be a shirt. That really does need to be a shirt. Um, yeah, there's uh, and as much as we've we've ragged on that sort of mentality here, um, not all. I think I've made sure I made sure I mentioned that. Like, I don't think all Calvinists fit that. Uh, uh, I've had the privilege of getting to know uh, Guillaume Bignon a little bit, uh, and Guillaume uh, is a awesome and super smart and wonderful human being and he's also and so he and he cracks jokes about how he's a, a one of the few nice Calvinists and I just think it's hilarious but anyway so but the point is that explore Christianity is the what they do is that they're all about basically uniting people on the fundamentals and educating people on what needs to be educated on and then also bro giving a broad enough understanding of Christianity because as a I'll, I'll set I'll steal something from Guillaume's recent lecture that I heard he said, I'd rather you be this, and he held up a picture of uh, Arminius than this. Mm. He showed a picture of Stephen Dawkins. And, mm. uh, uh, and he's like, I'd rather you be this than that. So if that's the case, I don't care if you are believe that. And I was like, that is such a great way to put that, because same, right? Like, as much as we might have these internal in-house fights uh, or battles, they should hopefully have some camaraderie with them to understand that it's in-house. I would rather yeah. you be a Calvinist than an atheist. I would rather yeah. you be a Calvinist than a Muslim. And just like I'd hope that anyone would rather someone be a provisionist or an Arminian or literally any other ism than an unbeliever. So um, I think that's really good. I, I That's something I, I'm passionate about. Um, so I love that. But it also shows that we practice what we preach that while we might disagree with Calvinism, we don't hate Calvinists. Yeah, <laughs> we I, love them. I, yeah. <laughs> and we try and explore our goal. <clears throat> like you would hardly, like if you were to go to see what we believe or something, we don't have that on there. We, we don't make that an issue. I mean, we got guys on our team that are Molinists. I mean, we, we joke, we have fun discussions on the side. We get into some heated stuff here and there, but as far as we project ourselves as a ministry, like, I don't want to, and John and I are passionate about this. And as we get older, we've learned to do this more is, is not major on the minor when it comes to these issues of preference or perspective. Like, yeah, we would lean, John would lean similar to me. I'm probably a little bit more reformed than him, but he would as well adhere to what we consider reform. But we're not, we're not looking to move that agenda into our apologetics because we realize that most of the people we're ministering to either one, don't even know what they are two don't even know what we're talking about or three, <laughs> yeah. they might have a different opinion than us. And most of what we're training them in is essential to an Arminian, a provisionist, a Molinist, a Calvinist, etc. So when, when I'm teaching the Canon, like how we got our Bible, every single group of Christian, whether I'm talking to a Baptist or, or Catholic, needs to understand those things because that is the basis of all of our faith. So I, right. I've kind of shied away from that. I haven't done, I mean, I debated Leighton Flowers twice as a provisionist. I've debated him. I've debated the Armenians. I've debated the, like David Palman we were talking about earlier. Like I, I don't really do much of that anymore because I don't find it necessary for what we are doing as a ministry right now. I love the conversations. I love to chat about it. I love getting into the details and doing the exegetical, you know, debates within John six and Romans nine or whatever. But at the end oh, of the yeah. day, that is not the essential thing for me anymore. Like I have an opinion. I believe it. If I were asked to teach somewhere um, that adheres to the same principles I do, I would teach it the way I believe it reads. But as a ministry as explorer, we we've made sure that we are not known for that. 
um, because that's not that's not what we want to be known for. We want to be known as a place of a safe haven where people can come with their doubts. And we have ministered to hundreds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, denominations, perspectives, and just come alongside of them, meet them where they are, let them vent, let them put it out there, let them be al allowed to ask questions like, well, what if what if I choose to believe God isn't real? What if I choose to believe that I, I don't believe in God anymore? Yeah. What would that do for my mom and dad? What What's would that, that do? See, at that point, Calvinism doesn't matter. You know, this person's struggling whether they believe in the existence of God based on the evidence in front of them. Me telling them that, well, don't worry, God's sovereign. He'll work it all out. That's not, that's not what that person needs from us. They're not coming to us with questions like that. They're, I, think it, it, I think it's encompassed in that, but what they need at that moment is somebody to walk them through the cosmological arguments and walk them through the, that's what they need in those moments. So, mm -hmm. so we try not to pride ourselves or camp ourselves. Like we're not Baptist. We're not this. I mean, I'm kind of Anglican at heart, I guess, but like, we don't really get into all that either. Cause we got guys on our team that are Anglican and some are non-denominational. We got Baptist Presbyterian. So we don't, we don't really get into all that either. So we try to keep the main things, the main things. Fair enough. I mean, I'm Eastern Orthodox at heart, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> this, this ha I, ha I just have a God the full board, but there's so many things I'm like, oh, that's so, I like that. That's good. So it's good. I get it. Um, so, but, but that's kind of like my thing too, where it's like when I, so when I teach apologetics at my church, um, I will say, well, okay, like when I'm teaching on hell, like I'm like, all right, I lean this direction. This is where I stand. I, I think this is right. But let me also s explain to you what this is. And the arguments for it. And let me also show you the the strengths and weaknesses of them both. And the weaknesses that you're going to have to build a response for in yeah. both views. Um, and I tried to do that. Like we did a problem of evil uh, series. So we went through all the different mm. theodicies. And because uh, the problem of evil is probably one of the biggest objections oh, to yeah. theism. So I did Top like three. an eight, eight, nine week yeah. series wow. on it. And uh, I went and taught through different theodicies, you know, heaven theodicy, soul building theodicy. Then we went to the reformed theodicy as well. And even though I'm not reformed, I don't hold the reformed theodicy. Uh, I explained it and I showed where it can be beneficial and also showed where I think its, it, its shortcomings are or where it's not going to want. But I also emphasize the entire time that not one theodicy answers the entire problem. So you need mm. all you need different theodicies. And there's also parts of Reformed theology, the, theodicy that people can take. So these things are really important because the central message is that God is real and Christ rose from the dead. That's, that's kind of the central message. And so if we push in that direction, which is why in all of our shows where we've done things where we just try to walk people through a theological you know, perspective on something. Uh, actually, Brian and I were talking before the show, before you chimed on that, we want to have a universalist on because frankly, we haven't talked enough. I haven't talked enough to universalists. I have no, yeah. I, I, I can see kind of where some of the passages are. I'm like, well, let's get some thoughts together, some questions and let's have, I know a guy who's written, I know a guy who's written some books from a universalist perspective and I want to pick his brain, you know, just to do that on here. Because again, what's the central message? And one of the things I've noticed as well is I love apologetics. This is probably my biggest heart and my biggest passion is apologetics. But I've also realized that our theology really can impact our apologetic. Yeah. So the so the best thing to do is equip ourselves as much as possible in different areas of theology. So that yep. way you can be better equipped to give better answers. 
And I've found that it's really beneficial even for me to have an answer on a theology question that I don't even hold to, like like what the Reformed theodicy, let's say. Somebody can't bear the idea of, of evil happening by accident. Well, that's okay. Some Christians believe in the, like that all things uh, like are decreed by God. You know, if you take the hard determinist, that's the compatibilist route, right? It's like, so you could also say that there is purpose in that. That's what's, yeah. what it's there for. So you can kind of use those other theodicies, even though you might not agree with them, but use mm -hmm. it to kind of nudge them closer to giving themselves permission to believe in Christ. Um, I, I say all the time I want to remove as much resistance as possible to my central message. Um, so I think that's really important, and I love that about Explore Christianity. Uh, you and Jonathan have been, uh, you know, fantastic people. Every time I've listened to your guys' lectures, every time I've listened to your um, podcasts, every time I've interacted with you guys. Actually, there's one time uh, I distinctly remember uh, your your colleague. I referenced him in a recent episode. Uh, I yeah. referenced John. Everyone was like eating me alive on Twitter, but no one was understanding the argument I was making. No one. Like I was like, I'm saying this, <laughs> not this. And it was a bunch of like, uh, it was like IFB people, recovering fundamentalist yeah. people. Like I'm not saying like I'm not saying RFP themselves. I'm saying like some of the people I felt like. Eh, no one was understanding what I was saying. And John was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. He comes <laughs> and he's like, so you're saying this, not this. I was like, yes. And he's like. So why is it, why is everyone saying this is heresy? I'm like, I don't know, but it's so nice that somebody <laughs> finally understands what I was saying. And I was like, because I, I was beginning to think I was crazy. Like I was explaining it like an idiot. Like, am I so stupid? Like, do I not know? But uh, yeah, so they're smart guys. Uh, they're great guys. They keep the, the main thing, the main thing, and they're very good at what they do. So go ahead and support Explore Christianity if you are able. Um, so with that, uh, you recently put out an episode. Ooh. Um, and it came at a very opportune time in my personal life. I don't want to get into too much details on the show um, for propriety's sake, but I will say that um, apologetics in the church is a big passion of mine. I teach apologetics at my church, but my, my teaching of apologetics sometimes ruffles some people's feathers who might not enjoy apologetics as much, uh, for lack of a better term. And, um, and, and now the church is trying to wrestle, like, how do we do apologetics? How can we do apologetics? We want it, but how, how far are we willing to go with it? What, what do we have boundaries with this? Mm -hmm. Just try to figure out how, do, how do we implement it? Um, mm -hmm. And what, and I, I, there was a frustration f for me personally, because a lot of these things we had, I thought we had already hashed out, we already agreed upon, and now it seems like because there's tension, now we don't know what to do. And then you release this episode. It just so happened to be the same day. I was just scrolling through Facebook. <laughs> I had a, um, I was outside working on my yard and I was just trying to like find something to listen to essentially. And I was, I was just scrolled through and I found that you posted your recent one. And it was like th th three reasons why apologetics is failing in the church. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, that's clickbait. Uh, so I'm going to click it. <laughs> People hate clickbait. I love clickbait. I'm the guy who's like, ooh, that sounds spicy. Well, like, I, I want to listen to that. I got to know. And then you sent it to me while I'm doing your artwork. Yeah. I listened to it. And I sent it to my pastor. I sent it to like, so I, I like, when I listened to it, I was like, this is the most truthful and fire, like, episode I've heard in so long. So I sent it to a bunch of people um, because what you said as someone who considers himself like an apologist or a budding apologist or aspire, aspiring apologist, wherever people want to put me, as someone who loves apologetics, that episode was so true. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm actually mm -hmm. working on like, I'm getting my master's <clears throat> in a Christian philosophy and apologetics. Uh, I want to get my PhD in it. And because of that reason, and I have constantly in every church I've been to, 
so far have run into a lot of the issues that you discussed in there. Yeah. Um, so I think we should discuss discuss that a little bit. So first sure. off, you wanted you put out these three reasons for why apologetics is failing in the church. Uh, what was like? Was there any situation that sparked it, or was it just like you're a, a, a kind of an observation over the years of doing apologetics? I think the big thing was <clears throat> having been a part of a church that's just now a, a very large church that I go to here is now allowed us to implement it. And, and that was a breath of fresh air because there's a necessity for it. And the need is growing and it is being seen by pastors. Another reason is, is because of what I said earlier, having trained so many people in these other countries, like it's expected to be a part of their church. It's expected to be a part of their training as disciples of Jesus. And then you come back to, and I speak at multiple churches and have the opportunity. And it's just, it's so disheartening to see the lack of interest. Um, you know, when I was, when I was at the church, the Southern Baptist church, second one I pastored, I remember sitting in a meeting that brought in a state director of South Carolina. And he was sitting there in front of, I don't know, 50, 60 pastors in our area. And he was talking about the statistics of the young people. And this was back in 2000 and I think 14, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. And he was talking about how 65% of the young people that were in high school that time would be unchurched by 2020. Mm. So within a five year span, right after college, it ended up being closer to 70% when it was all said and done. And then, so you sit here and you listen to people and we have so many people text us and email us. Um, I've talked to, I teach two apologetics classes at a private Christian school here in Spartanburg in the morning. They saw the necessity of it. They saw the kids were going to colleges and not being prepared for what they were facing. So they wanted to implement apologetics in a private school uh, here. So first thing in the morning for, I run the family business and do apologetics. I teach apologetics to juniors and seniors in a private school year and seeing the, the, the excuses as to why apologetics can't work. I'm looking at these 15, 16 and 17 year olds who get it and eat it up. And everybody's worried about, well, big terms and all this other stuff. When you actually sit down and just fundamentally grasp the reality of Christianity and you walk them through and you allow them to ask questions, you allow them to doubt a little bit and challenge the Christian faith. You know, one of the things that we learn, one of the first things that we do in each one of those classes, we go through a second century document known as the Epistle to Diognetus. It is an unnamed Christian we don't know who was responding to a letter we didn't have from a Roman leader, an unbelieving pagan Roman leader, who sent a letter of some sort to a Christian leader, which in my opinion is somewhere in the city of Smyrna, and asked him, why do Christians live the way they do and die the way they die? Because he was a part of persecuting them and he was seeing a different response. And he gives all of these well-written philosophical arguments to defend Christianity, the existence of God, the greatness of the God of the Bible over the gods of Rome and, and Greece, the conduct of Christians, the way they live, the, the forgiveness, the love, the, the community, the passion, all of those things is encompassed in this letter. And one of the first things that we focus on in the chapter two of this epistle is where the writer tells Diognetus that in order for him to inquire the truth of the Christian faith, he, faith, he must set aside his prejudice. 
And so we define prejudice in class. What is a prejudice? A prejudice, and he tells you in the text, is anything that you've been accustomed to. And so one of the things that we ignite and I ignite these young people to do is come into this classroom every single day and lay aside as best as you can what you're used to and comfortable with, your prejudice, and open your mind because if you don't, you're going to miss the truth. Or maybe your prejudice is true, but not enough truth. It's only a little bit of true and you haven't developed it and you can't defend it and you can't understand it fully and you can't uh, reason through it. And you need to open your mind just to develop the truth that you might have as a prejudice. And so when challenging that and seeing people change and it impacts their parents, I have parents that reach out and listen to my podcast. Now the students, I had one parent who took me to lunch. who was concerned. I was teaching really difficult stuff for their child. And then we had lunch for two hours and he was like, man, I think this should be a required class for every single student. I wish I was in the class. He's like, you know, <laughs> awesome. so I mean, when it was all over with, what I started seeing is when you give the per the common person, including young people, just the tools that they need to do their own thinking, people are passionate and see the necessity of it. The mm -hmm. problem is when we get into the church context, we have prioritized other programs so much, building projects, children's departments, teen activities, all, all of which I'm fine with. Like, I don't have a problem with. But we treat equipping the saints and apologetics as if they're two different functions. Thank you. And so, yes. so, so what ends up happening is it becomes a back burner issue where some months it becomes a priority and it's like, all right, we're moving. We're going to do something here. And then all of a sudden it becomes secondary because some other need comes up in the church. And so to me, it kind of, I kind of struggle with, seeing pastors call me and church members saying, man, I thought we were going to get something started or I tried to get something started. The pastor just kind of put it down and said, well, let's, let's put that off for 2024. And so after a while of hearing this over and over again, I was like, you know what, I'm going to address this as a whole. So it wasn't like one thing or one conversation. It was multiple conversations of me just pondering over the last few months. Like why, why are we failing? Why are we losing young people? Why are we losing the next generation? Why are the Southern Baptists predicting 65% of their young people go unchurched in a five-year span, ends up being closer to 70, and we've done nothing about it? And now everybody's like, I don't understand why my son wants nothing to do with God anymore. My daughter doesn't go to church. She hates God. She won't let us pray in the house when we're there for dinner on holidays and all this stuff. Hmm. And they're like, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand it. And it's like, I do. I understand it because we were warned about this a long time ago. They knew the data was coming and did nothing. We did right. nothing. And yeah, so that's the, the part that ignited me the most. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the watchers on the wall where you see all the problems happening behind you as the city burns down, but you yell and, you know, nothing like you warn no one. And that was actually a thing right there for me. So like yourself, I was raising fundamentalism. I was of like the Crown College uh, Maranatha vein. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and when I see so many of the kids I grew up with all become atheists, uh, the people mm. I went to Bible college with who become atheists, these people who just keep falling away and they keep thinking that, that Christianity is stupid. It's, it's absurd. My own, my wife's own family has a ton of them who have fallen away. Uh, I mean, I could probably, there's probably more who have fallen away than those who have stayed in. And it's because wow. no one has taught them. Like all you do is hammer 
like if all you do is hammer like basically legalistic principles or just or this whole thing like Vody Bakum actually puts it really well like we basically equipped a generation with full hearts but empty heads yeah. and then we wonder mm. why that our uh our people are like pulled away so much by emotional arguments with lgbt and all this stuff it's like yeah because that's the way we've we, that's the way we've projected christianity oh you know that's this feeling and this experience of god and which yeah okay yep. but we are to love our god our lord our god with all our heart soul and mind we are to it says that uh you know what is it the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and then we see that knowledge is extremely important it's like you have to know things because if you don't know how to defend your beliefs how are you ever going to stand up against the world how you how can you even identify false teaching as paul warns you about and like you said equipping the saints involves apologetics i mean when i read act 17 with paul i don't see a man who is unreasoned in a lot of uh, un, <laughs> unlearned in a lot of areas he seems pretty well taught yeah. uh, enough so to use even the greek or roman gods to as a as a springboard yes. to to present people the god of scripture and uh jesus christ so it's just it really gets out it really does bother me because uh I, so i've came into my church where i'm serving as an elder now i stepped down as a pastor um for a period of time so my wife could basically be a stay-at-home mom because the pastorate didn't pay me enough to do that so i stepped down at the time and i'm serving as an elder while still you know keeping my uh, options open for ministry. But one of the things is when I first got there, started teaching apologetics. Uh, first off, I had to convince people to let me do it because people were like, I don't know if we would have uh, much interest in that. I, I don't know. And sure enough, there's a ton of interest right off the bat. And then I had a, a, a multiple, yeah, and multiple people came up to me. I wish you were here a couple years ago when my child was here mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. they fell away. Um, you know, I wish they would have, they could have heard this because what you're yep. saying here, my child needs, and there's these parents who are mourning the loss of their kids because they know their kids have rejected God and the church still stands around and goes, well, you guys want more, like what more music, right? Small groups. That's it. And it's like, yeah, those are not bad things, but right. there's this giant chasm where kids think that Christianity is a shallow thing. And which is also why I don't think people realize why I, I think uh, we're seeing a rise in like uh, some of the ancient churches, like you we mentioned before, like yep. Eastern yep. Orthodox, yep. Catholics, and Anglicans. There's this growth that's kind of happening there. And I think it's because evangelical churches have really kind of sacrificed um, like the depth of Christianity for kind of a shallow package. Um, yeah. I think uh, we had a guest on that said it very pedantically, but called them evangelical fun centers, which I think is actually a good description of many of many churches. In some was that ways. Nathan Rager quote? Yes, that is. Yeah, Nathan that was Rager one of the funniest things he did say. I, I disagree with that man on a thousand issues, but that was pretty funny. Doctor Boyce, do you think it's do you think it's a a perspective that they don't think the kids and the congregation is smart enough to handle this? Like. We see these kids going to school and and they can understand 60 different types of genders and all their pronouns. And we can expect kids in kindergarten to identify cloud types, but we don't think that they can understand a couple complicated terminology when it comes to scripture. I think it's two things. I think that is one of them. I think that there's this idea that, okay, that's, these are big terms. And we tried, we tried to reach people at their level. Like I'm not going to come in and first day of class, say, all right, we're going to talk about the cosmological issues. Uh, we're going to talk about why you should believe in God based on, you know, like do the definition work. But what I've learned teaching mostly 11th and 12th graders, and then some sophomores 
is that they are hungry to know at that age what to believe and why to believe it. And they're already struggling. So funny story. I was um, uh, maybe three, four months ago now. It might've been longer than that. I, I lose track of time. This famous TikToker named Captain Dadpool. He's an atheist, left the Christian movement. He has an entire video, huge millions of views on a video called uh, How to Deconstruct. And he walks you through how to deconstruct the Christian faith. And we responded to it. Myself and uh, Eric from Testify responded to it. Some things he said about the gospel of John. Well, we, we tagged him into it on the YouTube channel. And then I was heading down to Sumter to a basketball game. And I got a text message or Facebook message from Captain Dadpool on, on Facebook saying, Hey, I saw your response video. He said, I was very interested in some stuff he said. He said, how about you and me just do a one-on-one discussion? I was like, well, that's interesting. So I went back to the class and I said, hey, um, really cool opportunity. I'm going to have us watch it in class um, when it's over. But what shocked me was that half of my students knew who he was from TikTok. Huh. They're being indoctrinated through social media and TikTok. I mean, that's they're watching these people and they'd already seen his video on deconstruction. And a couple of them had already wrestled with some of the stuff that he said. So they got to watch me do a two-hour discussion with him and engage the things that he said. And they actually got to hear somebody combat it in person, not like one separate video, like me and him in the same room, a guy they'd seen millions of you with on TikTok with their teacher go at it one-on-one. And and if Captain Dadpool ever watches this, I hate to say this, but my students said I destroyed him. <laughs> and he had no idea how to answer some of the stuff. And they said, he sat there quietly and just said, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Or that could, I could see that. Or, you know, that was most of his answers to the, to the dialogue. And so number one, I do think Brian, that we, we do actually screw up in the area of believing these kids cannot contain the information or handle the information. But the reality is they're already, like you said, like the genders and stuff, they're already being exposed to something more deep and, and, and devastating. They're, they're capable of understanding it. I've seen young people develop concepts and arguments and write research. I have kids writing research who do as good of a job as a 25-year-old. So I, I don't think that's the problem, although I think that's believed to be the problem. Number two, I think the other one is fear. I think that they're afraid that if their their young people think for themselves, that they will change their view on major things. Um, mm-hmm. They're afraid. They're afraid for kids to think. Because what if that kid ends up thinking bigger and broader outside of the bubble we put them in, and they start changing the position they have from their parent or their pastor? And that's exactly what happens. I've seen it multiple times. So kids that grow up more conservative like what we did, they start studying Eusebius. And people ask about where do I start if I want to learn about church history? I always say, read Eusebius's history of the church. One guy, 17 years old, he's now 19. It was 17 years old when he first reached out to me. And he said, Dr. Boyce, what do I go read first? He's like, I love history. I feel like I don't know anything about the church and where we came from. Where should I start? I said, read Eusebius's history of the church. About a year later, he finally finished it. And he moved over to um, Eastern Orthodoxy, oddly enough. Uh, There you go. Uh, And it was his reading of church history that persuaded him. And he texted me and said, are you mad at me? I said, why would I be mad at you? 
he was like, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not what you would be. And I'm not what my parents were. And they're mad at me. And my pastor's mad at me. He's like, but are you mad at me? I said, I, I said, did you research? He said, I've been researching this for a year. He said, I don't see any justification to why I should stay in a church like this. I believe this has apostolic succession. He gave me all the reasons why I made the switch. I said, so if you have come to a conviction because you've actually studied something, even though I wouldn't go there myself, I personally wouldn't be Eastern Orthodox. I said, if you can love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, which I use that verse all the time that you just did, and you did it because you actually developed an understanding of church, apostolic succession, involvement, commission, equipping, and you feel like that is the place that God is using you the most and he's creating an environment for you to thrive in the gospel. I said, never would I be mad at you. I may not go there myself, but I'm not mad at you. But it was so discouraging that he had come to this conviction. And now his parents are mad at me, of course. And (laughs) all I did was tell him to read Eusebius. I mean, but so I think there's a second part, like, I think there's a second part. Cause I mean, I told, I told the, the, the dad, I said, look, if you had come to me, I'd have made him an Anglican. I wouldn't have made him a, an Eastern Orthodox, but I mean, like, come on. Uh, he was leaving the Baptist church no matter what you did. So, um, but the thing was, is the parents, the statement was, this is why I didn't want my child to study these things yet. And see what that revealed to me is he was fearful that, what they're doing might not be the best thing for their child or their child might not be in the best circumstance for his relationship with God. And it became a, he's not what we are. So we're mad at him. We're mad at you. Not my son is learning to love Jesus. And he found a place where he feels the most connected to a community in Christ at the same time, where he can live out his faith in a world that is abandoning their faith because most of his peers are atheists. He said they were. It's like, so you're more mad about your kid going into Eastern Orthodoxy than you are these other kids leaving the faith altogether. So Ooh. to me, I think there's a fear factor too. So I think it's a, Absolutely. I don't think our kids can understand that. I think there's also a fear factor because people are afraid if kids study these things are going to change. And you know what? Maybe the adults need to study it with their kids and maybe change yeah. together and we'd all be for the better. Just saying. Right. No, absolutely. Because actually, so what people don't understand, especially like uh, the millennial generation on down, we were, we were like the information generation and information is at our fingertips at all times is constant in feed. Mm-hmm. So pe- we can take on a lot of information and we do it all the time and we're always having to sift through it. So the sooner you get that into your kid that they, there's that Christianity itself is a bottomless like Pitt, I think it was Aquinas who once said that uh, theology was the queen of all the sciences or something like that. Hmm. And it's like, it's this bottomless well that there's information, you can find it. Once you push that, like you show kids and just point them in the direction, they will go and they will t- yeah. check it out. But some, some people don't even know that those resources exist, which is what you should be doing. But there's definitely that fear-based thing. I mean, I've even experienced it even recently because I'll mention certain things like, hey, you know, I don't think that's that these theological things that we have, like even in our statements of faith and or in our different areas are, are we sometimes make these things so narrow that we don't even allow broadness for any sense of diversity. So uh, like one great example of this is like some people will have like a say in their statement of faith, um, whether or not you have to believe in conditional security or unconditional security, like once they'd always save. 
And it's like, so you're going to make everyone here believe that one area that is hotly debated in Christianity, like, or, you know, you have to believe in inherited guilt. Um, well, not everyone uh, believes in inherited guilt. Even Calvinists don't all believe in inherited guilt. Um, so, like, but you're going to keep these super narrow views. And then you also wonder why you're losing kids because you're so, and I've, I've heard people say like, well, I'm scared, or what do we do if this they de detract from this? Well, then how do we handle these other th these other topics? Like you study them. That's what yeah. you do. You study them. You look into them. You let them study. You create enough broadness where people can explore Christianity <laughs> um, comfortably. <laughs> and uh, That's why we chose that name? But keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> but but you know allows them to explore it comfortably. And because what happens a lot of times is these churches will have such a narrow view on so many things that the kids can't question anything. If they question something, yeah. they're now slapped on the wrist and they're not allowed yeah. to study past it. So then they just completely bounce, right? So it's a real problem. And uh, I think that fear is huge. And also I've noticed that older people in the church, especially parents or people who are, might be grandparents, are terrified uh, almost if, if their kid almost knows more than them if that makes sense. So they're like in these areas, like I've seen that too, where that like I've even mentioned- They're intimidated. Says, yeah, and I've had it. And while I'm sitting with somebody at, at a church, me go, well, actually the they'll say something like, well, kinda, that's not really how that would be. This is actually how it's more understood. And I'll like just try to nicely say it. And then I instantly get the defensive wall. Whoa, whoa, I'm not trying to debate you. I'm not trying to argue. I don't know. You know more about this than me. I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt you, man. I'm, I'm trying to help you. Like, like relax. <laughs> so some of those things I think is true. Um, and so you gave, but uh, I feel like we could tangent on about that for a while. But your first point, I think kind of will bring this down. I want to talk about those three points for a second, uh, yeah, which yeah. is that churches don't care about defending the faith. They don't care about apologetics. And you said something that made that I, my jaw, I'm out there working and my jaw literally dropped to the floor that you just straight up said it. You're like, you know, how, you know, they all say they care about it. They all say apologetics is important, but you can tell they don't care about it when you look at their budgets. And I I was like, oh my goodness, he finally said it. Someone finally said it. I'm just picturing you with like weed killer and like he says that and you just like turn and it's just like going right on your nice flowers that you just bought and you're like, what? I just killed my flowers. But it's true because I have, churches are such, they're known for being budget wasters. Um, I, the yep. amount of money I've seen spent on silly things, even the amount of money that's yep. like in the music production, it's like you'll put so much money in these weird areas <laughs> or like deadbeat missionaries, as you said, or yep. got to have those wireless microphones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like we have to have all these fancy things so that way we can keep up with the Joneses, but then apologetics completely falls through. Think about printing all those. Things. I've so where <laughs> I live, you know who Dr. Tim McGrew is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I did a show yeah. with him recently. Okay, yeah, he's, yeah, that's right, you did. Um, yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. And he's like 45 minutes from my church. And uh, I've asked him if he'd ever be willing to speak. And he's like, yeah, and best part about it, I'm free. I will not charge. I just want apologetics in the church. <laughs> and um, I even mentioned that to some people and no, nothing moved, nothing's happened. No. And I'm like, here we are, we have one of the best apologists that close to our church, willing to do it for free. And even then it doesn't move. You know, and it's just like, it just shows that the church is like, oh yeah, it's important, we like it, 
but we don't really like it. And we kind of we want to shove it in a corner somewhere because if we bring it into the forefront, now we're going to have everyone in the entire room uh, questioning things. We'd rather them not question. We want them just to believe what we tell them to believe because it's easier to be comfortable, right? If anyone's detracted from your uh, like from what you believe, like you were raised Christian Reformed, I was raised IFB, and you know that feeling when you start changing and you start feeling like that floor falling out from underneath you, mm. and well, you know, oh, that's not true. I don't think what I believe is so cut and dry anymore. Well, then you, well, you, well the churches don't like that because now it's so much easier when everyone feels like they know it all, right? They, they're secure. There's security there, right? There's like this blissful, like ignorance is bliss, but there's also a yeah. bit of an arrogance in thinking that you, your church yes. has got it all figured out. And so what ends up happening is that people, I think churches are scared. They, they don't care about apologetics in one way, but they're also terrified that if they do it, you'll have too many people asking too many questions on too many things that Especially they don't want to And they're not ready ones. to answer them. See, and that's right. the thing. They're not ready to answer them. And that's because they didn't do this years ago themselves. And had they done that years ago themselves, they wouldn't have a problem because they would be passionate about doing this too. The fact is, is that they put on that they know, but they really don't know. Um, and, and they're afraid that when somebody starts to know or get to, to get the knowledge that they need, then all of a sudden they've got to, in that conversation you just mentioned, they get uncomfortable because it's like, what, think about it. You grew up in IFB. Yeah. That's the man of God. Mm -hmm. They're almost like the Baptist Pope. I mean, they, <laughs> they're infallible when they're speaking. But boy, what do you do when you have four or five 18 year olds in your church who are vigilant and well read, who hear a fact stated at church that they can sit there and fact check on their phone <laughs> in the middle of the pew and pull the preacher aside afterward and say, um, Pastor so and so, um, you said this in church today, and that's actually not true like that's actually not true see that's that's where those kids get called arrogant no oh, you're just know-it-all you know like or, or 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 somebody will defend the pastor you can't challenge the man of god see that that <laughs> stuff has produced what we have today that's what it's produced and see that's what i think everybody is afraid of i think fear is the underlying issue of all of it to be honest with you i think that i did a so when I pastored two churches, I saw the budgets. I mean, like when I spoke about the budget side of thing, I'm not speaking from ignorance. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I've cut a lot of junk out of budgets in the seven years I was pastoring. So when I, when I dealt with the issue of apologetics, I came up with an idea with, with all the resources that are available today on the internet and YouTube for free, even with just using the materials to print, to print, to pay for ink and paper for your people. You could in your church, any church that is about the size of 300 people, 300 people, you could do apologetics for no more than $5,000 a year if you want to, based on the estimations I've come up with. Just, just printing stuff out and electricity and stuff like that to have it in a room because unless you invite an apologist that's well-renowned or something, but I'm talking about a church that just has leaders who are committed to knowing the truth, who are interested in the work that's out there. They're reading and listening to guys that are doing the work and they can take that material and put it in front of their people by either playing it on a screen. So this is what I tell pastors all the time. Don't, you don't have to be a scholar in this field to teach your people about it. 
Let the scholar speak in your church. It's as simple as hitting play on a 52 minute YouTube video. It's as simple as hitting play on a bunch of like I've done them. I've done 12, a 12 part series videos on the Canon and on just play them for, and they're free. Like you don't have to pay for them. They're right there. You just hit the play button on the screen and you spent $25,000 on like, that's all you have to do. Like it literally costs like, you nothing. It costs you nothing. Cheaper than your coffee it's, budget. It's yeah. I mean, so there's so many things and I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice screens. I'm not saying it's wrong to have coffee and I'm not, but, but stop using the excuse of money. Stop. Because a church of 300, if you can't come up with $5,000 to equip, and it, and I think I looked at um, the second church I pastored, we had an equipping uh, fund of like $15,000 a year or something like that. And we never, never even came close to hitting that while I was there. I think like one year was like 8000 one might've been nine or something, but we never even hit that. So look, there's your gap. There's that $5,000 you can invest. If apologetics is not a part of your equipping and, and, and um, training process at your church. So I think the word apologetics is tainted a little bit too. And we can thank some apologists for that. But like, when you talk about the term apologetics, it's not some scholarly collegiate term. It was a common everyday term used in the Roman empire for a legal defense, a defendant who had to give an answer to the accusation of the plaintiff. Like that was what it was. Apologia just means a legal defense against claim claim against you. You have to counterclaim it with evidence. That's all you're doing. Like every Christian has to do that. That's not something just for the pastor or something for the, the leaders or something just for collegiate people who are getting their PhDs. Everybody needs to know how to respond to what their culture is shoving down their throat. Everybody right. needs to respond to what their neighbor who's a Muslim says about who Jesus was or, or any other realm of faith. Like that's just all of our obligation. And if churches aren't helping everyday Christians do that, then you're not a church because that's part of edifying and building up and equipping the saints. I'm just saying. One thousand, no, absolutely, one thousand percent. You're on a roll. I'm loving this, because um, it, it, that's I, and I've run into that um, where you know young people really do want it, as we were saying. I, I, and I it's funny the ones that grab a hold of it. Uh, it doesn't matter their background. Uh, there was one. There's one young lady, super bright, uh, who attended my. I did a whole summer long like basic apologetics, like arguments for God's existence, argue, what is the canon of scripture? And I had to cover like canon and what we did that in two weeks. Yeah. That was challenging. That's a lot Good to cover. With that. Uh, so, so you're, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, so you you're just kind of like giving the brief Testament. overview, right? <laughs> you're like, here's the general overview. Now y'all can kind of, I've at least pointed you in, in the direction to look. Mm -hmm. And then we did uh, arguments for the resurrection. And one of the things is like, I had one mom go out to, she's like, by the way, I really appreciated you teaching that class. My daughter, who's normally not able to go to that, was able to attend all summer. And it, she just, it, it, she's doing fantastic. Like she just really, mm. really, really edified her. And she's a teenager. And she was able to sit down and listen to the teleological arguments and Kalam cosmological arguments. She was like 15, 16, she's a bright kid. Um, and what's funny is that in the first church I, I pastored, um, we had four kids in there, two of them, each of them were siblings. So there's like two families essentially. So we had four kids in youth group and 
we grew that youth group to about 35 in the middle of nowhere. You have to know where this country town is. It is the middle of nowhere. And people are like, how, you know, there was like 30 regular adults that attended the church. You know what I mean? And uh, it, when the church was about 100, but there's like 30 that were the consistent people, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a, that big of a youth group. And people could, were like, wow, Will, you're just doing so good at the youth group. You just connect so well with the kids. Like, there is that. But also you don't realize that I've been teaching apologetics in here this entire time, and they are so excited. They tell their kids that their friends at school and bring them because like this is so we need this. Like you have never mm -hmm. you've never heard this in church before. Uh, you'll never believe it. This guy actually said that what so and so said is dumb. Like and but then he gives a good response, and it's like, and I'm not the smartest guy on planet Earth, and I if I can do it, anyone can do it. You know, is my mindset. But that right there. And then there's this other guy at my church. He's studying to be a minister now. He's the son of uh, a married lesbian woman, uh, was not raised in the church. And wow. once he, yeah, and was not raised in the church, his grandpa uh, brought him to church eventually, and he got, he, got, he got saved. Now he wants to go, he like finished his degree, and he's jumping right into pastoral ministry uh, school. Mm. And he comes over uh, fairly regularly with his theology homework and wants me to just help him through it. But he's going, but he's also always picking my brain on the craziest questions because he has to face it every day. And yes. as someone who has to face it every day, as someone who was raised in that, and he's a very heartfelt person. He, he, lo he loves the Lord a lot. Um, but he is also, he's, he's very empathetic and it's, it's, a, it's a great trait of his. I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning him, not by name. Anyway, <laughs> um, now that I think about it, but the whole point that this guy is like, but he needs it. He needs apologetics because he, he faces it every day. But he was one of those people that was not raised in the church. He didn't have the luxury mm. of just being told this and being indoctrinated with it. He now is like, he talks about how far behind he feels compared to his colleagues who could just spit scripture at him like this. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, people like him definitely need apologetics because he hasn't heard all this stuff his entire life. He he needs he needs us in the church to walk him through it. And as of right now, I'm the only one offering it in my church. Um, and so it's, it is those things that we run into. So the church really doesn't care about it enough. And they don't realize that we have kids falling off the yep. church train at record numbers. And they're all saying Christianity is not true. I don't know. I, I have too many doubts. I don't like how the church responds to LGBT stuff. Um, why is there evil and suffering? And there's so many other things, but apologetics deals with all those. Yeah, they're asking yeah, every bit of it. simple questions. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they're actually they're asking the questions that they should ask. But, but they're the not church. hard to answer. And we all we all have those questions in our life too, whether we want to admit mm -hmm. it or not. We all mm -hmm. struggle with those same questions. Why is there yeah. evil and suffering? Right. Who doesn't? Right. Absolutely. See, the thing is, uh, so last year, last Easter, not the one we just had, the one before, my my wife was teaching on Easter Sunday because it was an influx of multiple kids on the resurrection, and because uh, it was Easter, and she was teaching second graders, and a second grade boy was in the class, and he said, the "Story of the resurrection isn't true." Nobody that was there could tell the story and the Bible wasn't written by anybody that wasn't there. A second grader. And my wife was like, Oh man, like, what do I, like, what do, I do here? I got a class full of second graders and it's going to turn into a theological debate with some seven year old. Like, I mean, my wife was blown away by this and, and uh, thankfully she was, she, she's married to me. So she knew what to say there, but, um, <laughs> But, but she found out that this kid, she challenged him a little bit, and he learned this from his school, mm -hmm. public school, mm -hmm. second grade. 
oh, nobody that was there could report that, you know. And so what I did is I taught last summer an apologetic class uh, on on uh, how we got the Bible. And then I also did another one on the Gospels are based on eyewitness accounts, which is my, I guess, if I had a specialty, that would be the specialty. And so I taught that at the church. And I, and I used that example. I said, in our church, within these walls, a second grader on Easter Sunday challenged our church leaders and teachers as to why he should believe in the resurrection. And they're all looking at each other like, what? Who, whose kid is that? Like, and so I told him what happened. And I said, if that was your grandchild or you were teaching that class instead of my wife, what would you say? <laughs> how would you answer? And I can't tell you how many 60 something year old men and women. One lady loves my class. She comes to all my classes during the, during the semesters and also in the summer. She came up, she's like 70 something years old. She was like, I, I come to these classes so I can answer my grandkids that's why I come to these classes. So I know wow. at a holiday, if that question ever comes up, I know what to say to my grandkids. So she's coming in her 70s just to learn what her grandchildren are being influenced with in the public school systems, as well as some of the cultural stuff they're facing. Because she said, I don't, I don't know what I would have said to my seven-year-old grandson. I don't, I don't know what I would have said. And I want to know. I know I believe it in my heart. She just wanted to be able to answer the grandchild at a, you know, Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, if something like that ever happened to her, because she, she didn't know what she would say. So again, this is not just for the young. This isn't just for the academics. This is for anybody. 77-year-olds, seven-year-olds, everybody in the church needs this because absolutely. everybody in the church is being confronted with this. Nobody's exempt. Right. Absolutely. And uh, that's why I, I switched so much of the focus to apologetics when I was at that church, because one kid asked me a really good question. And I remember I, I had one way you could be a good apologist, by the way, you don't have to be the, the smartest guy in the world who has read every book is you could just be an answer finder. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, I'm like, that was, that's a really good question. Let me find out. Um, let me see what I can find. That's how I found William Lane Craig was one question. And then I found the entire world of apologetics and then I consumed everything. <laughs> uh, it became yep. an obsession. And I realized that that's what the boat that we were going to be missing if we aren't careful. Yeah. But then, William Lane Craig, one of his guys is actually in my class that I teach at the church. And he and I <clears throat> and another apologist from Viola are going to be doing this summer at my church, a seven week series on the introduction to apologetics and why the church needs it. And so Casey, his name's Casey Seth. He works for William Lane Craig. And mm. so we're doing an apologetics thing together this summer, starting in a couple of weeks. And uh, he and I are tagged in. He's doing all the William Lane Craig topics and I'm doing mine. So he's trained by Craig. <laughs> he works for Craig. So yeah, we we're doing it there in, in our church. It's good. <clears throat> Powerhouse. Um, and then your second point, which I actually literally laughed when you said it, uh, <laughs> The, the field of apologetics is sketch. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Can you expound on that for a minute? Because that's hilarious. Go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, like apologetics is, and I told John Beasley this two years ago, we explicitly did not call ourselves an apologetic ministry. Um, when you look at Explore Christianity, it says that we we do apologetics, but like we we didn't want to call ourselves that because I I pushed against the idea because I was afraid that apologetics was going to become a fad where apologetics 
like to be an apologist was as simple as getting YouTube channel, coming up with a really cool name and having an opinion, not an educated one, but an opinion. Attacked. It's <laughs> not meant to be an attack. <laughs> you do your research and study, then you're fine. But there's people that, that really like, they do more harm than good. And, mm -hmm. and then there's people that speak on subjects. Like there's something that you just said that I think is essential. You said that sometimes being a good apologist is being an answer finder, finding mm -hmm. the answers you don't have and, and learning to say, you know what? I really don't know. That's not really a field I'm that familiar with, or I'm not that trained mm -hmm. in. And I've learned as I've developed in the area of Canon and text to really stay in my lane there. A lot of apologists try to be an expert on everything and there's just no way. Like, <clears throat> I think we can have well-rounded, strong conviction and even have good articulation to every single point in the main essentials of apologetics. But it is impossible, in my opinion, to master every single field in a lifetime. There's just so, like you said, it's a deep, deep well of knowledge that, oh, that just keeps going. And the longer I stay in my field, the more I realize I don't know. And I'm going to be spending the rest of my life trying to figure it out. And so when there's like big science questions, I'm like, hey, you need to read Hugh Ross. You need to read you know, whoever. I, I reference people that I think would do a better job. Now, if people say, well, what is your personal opinion? Well, I have one. Here's my opinion. Here's what I think the earth is in age. Here's what I think is happening in the expansion of the universe. Where did I learn that? From this guy. So if you want to learn more, you probably should listen to that guy because that's who I learned it from. And so I think that guys, some guys try to be a know-it-all and they try mm -hmm. to be an expert on every single field. And so it creates a... So the church is also kind of scared of bringing apologists in because some of them aren't trustworthy. They haven't developed the skill that they're speaking on, or um, maybe they, they don't have a charitable attitude. That's a big deal in apologetics. Some guys are just jerks. Um, some guys are, Jesus, unite. <laughs> Hey, there's plenty of them in the field of <laughs> apologetics. Um, some of them are so up here in their discussion, the way they talk, they would never reach the common person in the pew because they don't have any interest. They almost hold this sense of power, like knowledge is power. And if I have it and they don't, I can hold that over them. And I've always yeah. said this, there's this gap between the church and the academic world. The, the academics don't like the church because they're ignorant. The church doesn't like the academics because they're too high and lofty. And so it's like, we both... So the high and lofty are mad at the ignorant, but do nothing to help ignorance come to knowledge. And the ignorant are mad at the academics and don't go to the academics to say, hey, help me leave ignorance. Like, so there's got to be a bridge. And part of the explorer is trying to bridge the gap between the academic and the common Christian to bring them together so we can actually bring our knowledge together. But I think the problem with some apologists is they want to hold this hierarchical knowledge barrier over the common man because there's power when you know something somebody else doesn't. So I right. think there's a lot of issues with apologists. I think that the a lot of the apologists out there are sketch and the fact that they haven't established themselves, they haven't demonstrated work that is worthy to be knowledge, uh, acknowledged. And there's some that try to master so many fields that they become really very shallow. They're not very in-depth in their field. Enough. Right, mile, mile wide and an inch deep, right? 
I mean, that was right. my thing. When I, first, mm-hmm. when I got into apologetics, I felt overwhelmed and I kept trying to learn everything. And it took me a long time to realize I can't know it all. There's no way. There's no way I can know all these things. I am one man. I have a full-time job. I'm a husband and a father like everyone else. And there comes a point in time where you just got to acknowledge that. So I realized that I love apologetics, but one of the areas that I needed to be good at was just basic arguments for the classical arguments for the existence of God, strong defense of the New Testament, and then whatever other specialty, and I happen to be pretty decent in the realm of theology, especially dealing with some of those more complex topics. I'm like, okay, so that's my house. And I have a particular interest in the work of the atonement. Okay, well then maybe I should just really focus hard on that. And then once I feel like I got a really good gist of that, then maybe kind of start exploring around, but otherwise I'll open my mouth and assert my foot. And I've done that enough. <laughs> so it's, it's time to, you know, it, it's okay to focus on a single thing. And that's why for a long time, um, I've actually, so once in a while I get a message, people want us to continue the King James only series I have on the channel. And I'm like, well, I kind of stopped because I, I presented to you, I presented a lot of important facts, but I also realized I can't be a textual expert. That's not my passion. It's not my field. Um, I can study a, a lot and bring forth some of that evidence, studies a lot, then bring forth evidence. It was, it was taking a lot of my time on something yeah. I wasn't even passionate about, which is why whenever someone talks to me about King James Oleism and they get through my playlist, I literally go, you need to listen to facts. Like, just go to <laughs> yeah. Dr. Stephen Boyce, you go talk, listen to him, he is yeah. going to cover all that because that's his wheelhouse. And I just realized that there is power in pointing to people's wheelhouses. Uh, we talked, we were talking yeah. about Dr. Jonathan McGlatchey earlier, you know, he's a biologist. Uh, he's mm-hmm. working with Discovery Institute. I, I, what got, I got to meet Casey Laskin recently uh, at Discovery. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a scientist. It's so nice to have those guys who are. And it was yes. funny when I was talking, I was talking to Jonathan about some theological views that I disagreed with him on. I was like, oh, really? You believe that? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like honestly, I, that's what I think. Someone held a gun to my head and told me to make a decision. That's probably where I'd lean. He's like, I see faults in all these different positions. So I don't really care about it. I haven't really studied it much. That's not my passion. And I was like, that's fair. And that's an honest response, like yeah. a nice, honest response. And he can point people to people who do care about it. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. I'm not an expert in that area, but here's some people who are go check them out. Okay. This and is what they say. And it's important to not be combative. I mean, it's not be combative in all areas, but be especially combative in the ones that you really haven't studied that much. I mean, we've seen that yes. a lot with some of the atonement stuff where people haven't ever looked into this, but they have a stake in the ground and they will fight to the death. Like you haven't even studied this. Like just relax for a second and just point to someone or do some research first. Well, like you don't need to weigh into the argument just because you feel like your position's being attacked. And I feel like a lot of the church does that. I feel like a lot of stuff happens online with that. But if you're wanting to be an apologist, like, realize that some of those things don't need to be argued. If you haven't done the research, it's okay to just wait and just think about it and maybe add some color commentary if you've learned something about it. Which is why, and I think you mentioned something really important there about bridging the gap between the academy and the church. And that's why someone like when Dr. Michael Heiser died, it was such a tragedy because he was one of those people that could do that. Yeah. Um, Whether you agreed with Heiser or didn't agree with Heiser, that man could he 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 was such a breath of fresh air for so many because he really he cared about the church and he yes. cared about academia so he brought it in and it was just so cool to see that uh, you see that with him a little bit you see it with a few others but really that's such a rarity to find it's rare. and 
and we need more of that. And but he also had a certain humility about him. Um, he uh, and of course once in a while, and only once in a while would he get punchy. And when he got punchy, yeah. I was like, ooh, ooh, spicy <laughs> Uncle Heiser's coming out. Like this is great. Um, but you know he and the good apologists have a certain level of humility. Um, that's what I I found refreshing when I got to talk with Tim McGrew, which was. He, uh, I asked him about like PhD work, like, how do you feel about that? And he goes, Hey, look, man, if you just show me what you know, what you're talking that, you know, what you're talking about, I really don't care about your degree. Just know what you're talking about. And uh, I think that's a really good, like important information for people just to cling on to know what you're talking about before you open your mouth and be a fool. Um, yeah, PhD work mostly just gives you the tools to learn how to study deeper and further. So I, I agree that like I do more now deeper thinking than I did then, but I know how to do it now. It gave me what I need to know. It mm -hmm. put me on a trajectory to think in that realm and how to think in that realm. So that was the best thing about it. So, yeah, right. I mean, but that's what we do with church people too. Just, just open them to a world they've never seen before and let them do the investigative work from there. It's, it's not hard. It's really not hard. We made this harder than it really is. It's not as hard as it is. We just mm -hmm. introduce people to truth. If we're, if you're afraid of the truth and you're in error somewhere and you know it and you're purposely hiding in it. So like, if you're not afraid of the truth and Jonathan Beasley and I've had this discussion over and over and over again, we're going to chase the truth down, even if it means, and we've said this and hear me and your audience, please forgive me. We said, if, if the truth takes us out of Christianity, then we're not going to be in Christianity anymore. Now we don't believe that's going to happen, but because we don't want to live a 100%. lie. Yeah, right. I mean, like, Absolutely. like so, but we believe that if somebody diligently seeks the truth, they're going to find the truth in Jesus Christ. And so mm -hmm. we believe that. And the deeper we've gone in that, everybody was worried about me a couple of years ago. Like, I think Stephen's going to be an atheist. And I actually had a family member tell me that. I think you'll be an atheist in the next two years. It's like, actually, I'm stronger in my faith with Jesus Christ than I was ever before because I have had to wrestle and cry. And there were certain books of the Bible I wouldn't even teach from for a year because I weren't even sure they were canon. I sat there and wept, holding my Bible. Like, I don't know if I should preach out of this, Lord. Like, I don't know if I should ever read this book again. And then the Lord showed me through struggle and tear and difficulty, this is my word, teach it with conviction. But it took the wrestling to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And everybody's afraid to wrestle. That's the problem, I think, in a big way in the churches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the uh, I've actually been told multiple times that I would either be an unbeliever in a couple years, or uh, I'm going to be a liberal, like a theological I can liberal. See that. I, because I, can see that. I mean, whoa, he looks kind of like a liberal. Whoa, so. whoa, okay. whoa! <laughs> I am. Hey, you pulled the Calvinist. Right? I'll pull the liberal. You pulled Calvinism. <laughs> I got to think so. We both gotten that accusation. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're going to be. I'm like I am extremely conservative, actually. Um, but they're like, yep, you're going to be a theological liberal, like. Okay, because I think Christus Victor is closer to what? Like, like yeah. so, some of the things are so funny. Um, uh, but people actually think, like, I've heard people, many people think that if you're getting to academia, academia equals all always liberalism. And it's like, well, no, there's there's conservative academics too. You know that, right? Of course. <laughs> uh, well, if you don't prepare someone with apologetics when they do get in academia, they will not be a Christian anymore. Right. So that's why you need to know. And then finally, your last point, we don't, we, we've kind of talked through it, but I just want to make sure we mentioned the third point for, on your episode. Uh, modern apologetics has become a fad that lacks historical framework, which you've already yeah. kind of mentioned. But essentially, um, a lot of apologet apologetics, um, they don't 
depend enough on the history of the church. Uh, in fact, a lot of people don't know the history of the church at all. Like they, yeah, they're completely the ignorant. Problem. It's annoying. <laughs> like when you say, you'll just be like, well, uh, you know, Eusebius said, or you'll mention like uh, uh, Chrysos- Chrysostom. I always, I always John Chrysostom. Yeah, I always John Chrysostom. Chrysostom. Yeah, so apologetics is is not based on a modern concept. We have to lose that idea like, oh, well, this is some new thing. Yes, there is a fad session. Like people are like, oh, that's attractional. And then they just make themselves a self-proclaimed apologist. But the idea of defending the faith is from the very beginning against Marcion, very, very early on, Irenaeus, Tertullian. These were defenders of the faith. Origin defended Christianity. The letter to Diognetus that I mentioned, we don't even know the guy's name. We call him a thetes based on his description as being a disciple of the apostles. It's hard to be a good Christian founded in Christian principle when you have not reached the point where you understand how to defend the faith from those who came before us because they've been defending it a lot longer than we have and they were defending it at the earliest stages of deviation and heresy and an error. And so what good is it? Most apologists, you'd be surprised. Most apologists have never read the works of Irenaeus or Tertullian in their defense of Christianity or origin. You start getting into this, they don't even know. It's like, but these are the earliest apologists. So it shows in the way we do debate. It shows in the way that we use argumentation in our world today. And so for that, it demonstrates to me that we lack that historical framework that we're not building on something that's already been Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's already laid the foundation on the prophets and the apostles. The apostles trained people after them to defend the faith just as they did. And if we skip that stage of the, those that they trained to defend the faith and we think that we're something special right off the apostles and we miss all the people that they like iron ace is trained under the Johannine leadership from Polycarp trained by John himself. Irenaeus or uh, Tertullian as well, going down into North Africa, learning from Rome, being influenced by Paul's writings, being influenced by John Mark. Like these guys were defending the faith off of what they learned from the apostles or their successors. And so if we're not, when, when I take in apologetics that way, where it's like, man, I'm building on something so much bigger than me, so much bigger than explore Christianity. It's something that started with, Jesus and his apostles and their succession that's been passed down. And I'm just a piece of that huge puzzle. Then it makes me feel a lot smaller because I need to, like, I'm not that important. Christianity isn't hinging on this guy. God has used people throughout all of history across the world to do this. And I'm just a piece of the puzzle jumping in and building on something that's already been laid by greater men than me. And I think we as a modern church lack that framework. Amen to that. Um, yeah, Irenaeus was a very influential for me. I read him over 2020. Uh, and he's yeah, I, I, every time I think of, um, yeah, he's the man, by the way. Uh, if I ever do convert to orthodoxy, you get to take on like a, a baptism name. And I was like, Irenaeus, that's the one, uh, <laughs> that's the one. Um, oh but, uh, gosh. anyway, yeah, people uh, think you're full of yourself now. <laughs> No, no, you take, no, no. You take on the name of so, of someone who has inspired you. Like, what's I the know. point? Shut up. All right, all right. I'm gonna fight I you. I couldn't miss that opportunity. Sorry. Uh, I hate you. <laughs> um, but the whole point. I but, think it should be Augustine of Hippo. But go ahead. Go no. Ahead. Yeah. 
Oh, birds. The birds. I did that on purpose. Just go ahead. If I had a time machine, I'd go back and kick Augustine out of the church. No, no, you're the police. Okay, no, I'm just Okay, all right. Uh, no, actually, as much crap as I've given Augustine, actually, he has some. He actually has some really great stuff. Like I, oh, I've yeah, just, ha- of course. I've just hammered. I've, I've, I've hit the Augustine hammer a lot, and uh, it's probably just because of some of the issues uh, I've had with some of his theology that has influenced hard in the church. But he actually has some really good stuff. I actually like a lot of his work yeah, on yeah. Uh, the atonement and responding to some of the other things. But anyway, he was right um, on a lot of things that he copied from other people. You're such a tool sometimes. Uh, But uh, anyway, so back to what you were saying. I think you're absolutely right that they lack that historical framework. And if you read those early church fathers, you actually find yourself like almost... I don't know if you're like me, I was just enthralled by the writing, the world, uh, the, the thought processes and realize, and there was some humility there too, because I realized that the apologetics I was so passionate about had been done since the very beginning. And I, the, the humility that I had there was this idea that I was like, I am not, it's not, all, it doesn't, God's kingdom doesn't depend on me. I am a cog in right. the, I am a cog in the machine and I stand on the shoulders of men that came before yep. me. So I need to respect those people. Um, And even when I disagree with them, because there's definitely different movements in the church history that a lot of us would disagree with. But of course, we stand on their like we 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 would not be here if it wasn't for their work. So have some appreciation, understand where they're coming from. And what what's helped me even understand some of those things I think are false is just understanding the world and where they were coming from. Like once I realized where the influences were, Oh, like I think Aquinas got some things wrong, but Thomas Aquinas was brilliant. But I think he yes. got some things wrong, and it's like, oh, well, it's because of these influences. That actually makes sense why that would happen. Yeah, how many doctrines are actually responses to other doctrines? Like, where did your doctrine even come from? Right, a lot of people don't even don't, don't realize. Don't that tell certain... me you just read it in the Bible, like oh, I came up with it and just happened to <laughs> match exactly with this guy from twelve hundred years ago. No, well, well that's just funny <laughs> to be able to realize, like right. in church history, you can see where certain teachings actually appeared yes mm-hmm. or yeah or fully or fully bloomed even like sometimes there's like a vein of it kind of and then suddenly one guy sees it and he latches onto it and he hammers it and then it creates a bunch of controversy a bunch of people responding to it then it kind of gets fleshed out better because of that so um yes. anyway with all that being said apologetics is extremely important and we need it in our churches uh and if you want to help build that uh mission i would encourage you guys to support explore christianity uh with dr stephen boyce and jonathan b they're awesome guys. I hope this uh, interview has shown that. Um, and I, I think it's uh, something that is much needed. And I think the church needs to listen to these warnings and start doing something about it instead of being yep. continually 30, 50 years behind the yard line. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, 50 years later, like, oh, we should have done this. It's like, yeah, no, duh. But you didn't listen to the people who were saying it. So, yeah. Um, and if you've hung with us this long, make sure you go back, listen to facts, listen to the episode. Three reasons apologetics are failing. Listen to the whole thing. Listen then, to the whole thing. And, and then just, make your pastor listen to it. And then just keep listening to the facts because it's a good podcast. So uh, anyway, with that being said, Stephen, do you have anything you'd like to uh, add here at the end? Not just, yeah, appreciate the plug. And and we cover a lot of stuff. I do a lot of stuff on Irenaeus and Ignatius and Augustine and others. I go through a lot of their work. I mean, we'll be spending years going through the volumes of stuff these gentlemen have written so check stuff out like that we also talk about practical things uh i just recently came out and called out andy stanley on his view of canon and why he's wrong uh 
I don't typically do stuff like that, but he's a well-renowned person and he made a huge historical mistake that somebody had to call out. So I figured it'd be me. So I do things like that all the time and, and really get into the church fathers and read a lot of the patristics and investigate some of their claims and look at how they handled apologetics. So definitely check that out. I think you'll be encouraged. You'll find some episodes on, I'm going through every book of the new Testament and why it's canonical. And even the disputed ones, I've already done all those. I'm almost done with the whole New Testament. I'm almost done all 27 New Testament books. I got four or five left of the Pauline, but that's it. And uh, I've done some Old Testament, then I'm going to do the whole Old Testament too. Every single book and why it is canonical or why it was disputed, but it's still canonical. So I'm going to go through them and then I'm going to do all the apocryphal works. And then I've already done many, but we'll continue to do pseudo apocryphal works as well. So check those out, follow along. You'll see new ones come out every week. That is awesome. Yeah, that, that that there's a reason why I said that that wasn't my passion is because of the breadth of the work that that takes. Uh, yeah. and, <laughs> I and love meanwhile, it. Yeah, no, clearly you'd have to. So anyway, uh, looks like our camera died and I'm not going to fix it. So with that being said, uh, thank you guys for tuning into the church split. Check out Explore Christianity and uh, take care and God bless. And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com, use promo code Knowles for that. We also wanna thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about y'all, yes. but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. I did. Yes, I yes, did. And it was great. For this. Hi guys, my name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.